0: That's my king. He's enduringly strong. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a prince of princes. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of Lords. That's my king. All right, church, it's good to see all of you this morning. Let me tell you, first service was absolutely full this morning, so it is good to see that we're starting to recover from COVID, and as the restrictions are easing, people are finding their way back into church. So we are grateful that uh, all of you have made it here today. We're in the book of Colossians, and I want to echo what John said about our student ministry. What a blessing uh, to see. I was standing there with Miss Joanne, and she just hugged me and said, isn't it awesome to see those students? And That's our next generation of folks leading today. They're not leaders of tomorrow. Our students have every capacity to lead us today, and what a joy to have them lead us in worship. So continue to pray for Blake and the student ministry and all that God is doing in the hearts and lives of those people. And I just want to thank God that He gave me such a good singing voice, and I passed it to my daughter. So, what a blessing. What a blessing. Um, Colossians chapter 3 is uh, where we're going to be looking this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And this section of Colossians represents a change that we see and uh, most of the books that Paul wrote in the Pauline writings, uh, what we find is that he spends a lot of the first part of the book, really uh, generally almost half of the book, kind of setting down the theology of what he's trying to to say he's trying to help us understand that this is the truth of the gospel this is the truth about jesus this is the truth that has been uh, all throughout scripture and has been pointing to this moment because if we have our theology right and the reason it's important is if our theology isn't right then our behavior won't be right you know we live out what we believe correct So what we truly believe, that's how we live. And so you gotta get what you think first and and what we should understand to be truth and what we should understand to be knowledge. We've gotta start there. And then once we get that basis for understanding and knowledge and the foundation is built, now we can come behind and it starts to change the way that we live. So Paul began the book this way. And as we get to chapter three, we're gonna see the transition to to not so much theological as it's going to be the practical way that we live. Now that he has taught us these things, the question kind of becomes, so what now? So what does this mean for me? We know the truth now. How does that truth play itself out in the rest of my life? And so today we're going to talk about the issue of change. Because Jesus Christ is supreme... Because of everything that he has said to this point as we've studied the book of Colossians, remember he said we are complete in Jesus Christ, meaning... That everything that we need, we have. Everything that God promised, He has accomplished through His death, burial, and resurrection. And He will fulfill every promise that's left out there. We are complete in Jesus. The Bible says that He has made us alive. The Bible says, and literally, I mean, just the chapter before, the Bible says things like He has given to us salvation and He has given to us new life. And so, if we believe that to be true, it's going to change things about the way that we live and how we move going forward so let me read to you what he begins to share with us in chapter three he says therefore okay now we remember when it starts that way you gotta look back it it is building he's building in this book and and really Colossians is kind of an interesting book it has therefore in there a ton how many you all like pizza you ever bite into a pizza And when you bite into it, you start to pull back and all the cheese comes off? That's what Colossians is like, okay? It literally, it's all tied together. And when you're reading, you've got to be thinking about what's been said before. Because we're going to get a couple therefores right here in today's text, okay? So he starts off, therefore, so because we've said all these things, if you have been raised up with Christ, underline if, because that's not if the way you think of it in English, it's since. Not if, since we have been raised up with Jesus Christ. That's the essence of that word if. Keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, so... Because of what we just said in the first four verses. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside." anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you've put on the new self who is being renewed uh, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal that, uh, in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ Is all, in all, this morning. Let's start by talking about the foundation for change, folks. I want you to leave this place knowing one thing: change is possible because of Jesus. Okay. Now let me. I mean, that sounds so. I mean, so basic, but listen, we stumble on this fact. We stumble out of the gates on this very thing because somehow we think if I'm going to change, then the change is up to me, folks. The change isn't up to you. The change ultimately is because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done. The first four things that we're going to read in these first four verses, they are the foundation for change. If these things weren't true, we would not have any hope of change. Jesus didn't die on the cross and then say to us, you know what, good luck. He didn't say, I'm going to forgive you of the penalty of sin, but good luck changing, good luck being transformed. Now I want you to try to live better than you did before. That's not what he says at all. What he says is, if you have identified yourself with me, the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is now part of you. Now let me say it this way to you: When we think about it, when we talk about the foundation of change, look at what it says right off the bat in verse one. It says, "Therefore, since if you have been raised up with Christ, since you've been raised up, it is not a question; it is a declaration. Our resurrection with Christ, our death with Christ. It's not something that is happening. It's not something that will happen. It says that literally, it's already happened, and it's already." complete the reason it is important to identify with jesus is that when he died the bible says we who have faith in him we died with him the sin that was ours when he died was nailed to the cross that he died upon correct when we were buried with christ it says that literally our sins were buried with him and now that he's been resurrected, our identity with Jesus, now because he's been resurrected, guess what that means for us? That means we're going to be resurrected. You know the term today we use, uh, sync, right? The word with in the Greek, it's S Y N. And so you come up with words in the English like synonymous. You come up with words in English like sync, okay? And we think about it when I am connected to something, I'm synced to it, right? And because I'm synced to it, the information that is here is also transferred here. And so we become the same. Understand, that's what he says with, about Jesus. When you see with Christ, with Christ, with Christ, he is saying, if it is true of Christ, guess what? Then it's true of you. That's a huge fact. That's a life-altering declaration that since we, since we, have been raised with Jesus Christ, since we have been given new life. It's not something that will happen. It's something that has happened. The moment we received Christ as Lord and Savior, that now we have this truth, that we have a new spiritual position, we have a new spiritual power to walk in a new life because we are in Christ, because we're with Christ. He goes on and says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, listen, keep seeking things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. What he's asking of us is to remember to think biblically. The reason he commands us and the reason we need to think biblically here, to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on the things that are above, is because the danger is we want to focus on what's temporal and not what's eternal. He's reminding us that you need to remember what the Bible says about you. What the Bible says is important. What the Bible says should be our priority. And what it says here is our priority should be to seek the things above, to set our minds on things above, not on the things that are below. When the Bible talks about seeking Here's what it says. It implies, the word seeking itself in the Greek, it implies some very important things. It applies things that we give attention to. When we seek biblically, it says we do it because we give attention to it. It has the priority. It is something that we are deliberately pursuing. This is the word that was used, thank God, in the way that God dealt with us. Before you think you're seeking God, remember that he first what? He was the one seeking after you. The only reason we seek after him is because of what he's done in us. And now we desire this relationship. We have these new affections that make us want to abide in Jesus Christ. And now the attention should turn from the world to Christ. When we think biblically and we understand what the Bible is asking of us, it's saying that when we seek Christ, see, we start to wonder, well, what does that mean, to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on heavenly things? What does that mean exactly? Well, it means this. The one thing that we should seek in this life diligently, the one thing that should matter above every other thing, first and foremost, is Jesus. That's why the Bible says he's the pearl of great price, Right? That's why the Bible says he's like the treasure hidden in a field. That when you recognize that in Jesus, you are complete. In Jesus, you have life. In Jesus, you have everything that you need. He is supreme. When that really begins to sink in, everything else begins to lose its luster. And now your attention is focused on Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How diligently do you seek Jesus day to day? Because if we're talking about biblically what Jesus did for us, remember, He said, You were like sheep, and I was the shepherd. And though I had 99, I was missing one. And what did it say that He did? He left the 99, and He sought until He found you and me. He said, If it's like a coin, guess what? That woman swept that house. She moved every piece of furniture. She looked in every nook and cranny because she was determined to find that coin. Think about what it took for Jesus to save you. Aren't you glad he was diligent? Aren't you glad that of all the things he could have been doing in the universe, you were the priority? we're going to seek things above, that begins with recognizing that we're ultimately seeking Jesus, the one who is risen, the one who is alive, the one who made us complete, the one who has saved us. And listen, the one who is our life. Isn't that what verse 3 and 4 begins to say? Look at verse 4. It says, when Jesus, who is your what? Your life. Let that sink in a second. He says when Jesus, who is your life, so Jesus is our life, that means that when we're seeking things that are above, that means we're seeking his will, we're seeking his ways, we're seeking to live out his character, his strength is what we're seeking out. We know that we can't do it. We are dependent on him. And when we think biblically, we start to realize Jesus has to be the focus of our life. But biblically, there's other things. When we say think biblically, there's other things that ought to motivate us and become the foundation for change for us. The second thing I think the Bible really points at here is he talks about not only should Jesus be that focus, but think about what the Bible says about our, our home. Where is our home? It's heaven. It's not here. The Bible says that your body, it's like a tent. What do you do in a tent? You camp out. Okay. Now, if you were at home, the grandkids might come over, and it might be cute for a night to break out the tents right? and and to put them in the yard. But listen, I've got about a three-day capacity for camping. After three days, I want my house. I want my home. I want to not be out in the woods somewhere. I want to be home. You see, that same thought process ought to be what drives us in this world. This is not my home. I live for a kingdom that's coming. It's not just Jesus and the understanding that, hey, this isn't our home. We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven. But we also recognize that there is an eternal reward that is set before us and it drives us to be faithful to God. And when we consider thinking about heaven and thinking about things above It's what are God's will and and what are God's priorities for our lives. He says, if you want the foundation for change, identify with Christ. Think biblically about what it is that you are seeking. What are you giving your life to? And thirdly, it makes sense now. Realize that Christ is our life. Realize that Christ is is our life. I'm I'm going to put it real simple. The way way I've understood the way that I'm supposed to live and to see Christ bring about the change that he wants to bring about in me is is simply this. I realize I live for his pleasure. Not man's. Not my own. But there's one thing that I want to do, and I want to please God. And the only way that I can please God, the Bible says, is by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? And that means that I take God at His word and I believe it and I live it. Most of us misunderstand what it really means that, that Christ is our life. When it talks about that, it means that He has become our fixed mindset. He is the one thing, the one person that we live for. And the reality is, most of us as believers, here is the issue in our life. If we were to talk about Jesus and be honest, Jesus is a part of our life. That's very different than what this talks about. The real foundation for change is not that Jesus will be a part of our life. He is our life. That means every aspect of your life comes under his lordship. Under his direction. Under his leadership. Under his power. It's why he says that you have to deny yourself, right? It's why he says you've got to forsake the world and why you've got to turn away from lustful desires and all those things because ultimately, remember what he says, is there is a race that is set before us and the only way we're going to complete that race is to throw off what's tangling us up, right? Throw off the things that are weighing us down. And he says, fix our eyes where? On Jesus. Because in him is life. And he should be the one thing that we pursue. What a glorious thought that we don't have to hide from God anymore. When you get to verse 3, to me, verse 3 is one of those those verses in the Bible that we ought to cling to. We ought to remember, really, this whole chapter is amazing. It's a a chapter Christians should keep going back to. Listen to what it says in 3. It says, For you have died, and your life is now where? Hidden in Jesus. Look at the change that has occurred. There was a time in your life that you weren't hidden in God. You were hiding from God. And all of your sin and all of your wretchedness, you were hiding from God. But now, by faith, you have come to him and confessed your sin and gotten all of that out in the open. And you've told Jesus Christ, I want you to save me and transform me. And now you're king, you're boss, you're Lord of my life. And I want that to mean something. I want that to make a difference. And now he gives us the promise, listen, you're no longer hiding from me. You're going to be hiding in me. Let that sink in. I am hidden with Christ in God. How secure is that? I am hidden with Jesus Christ in God. Jesus Christ is our hiding place. Jesus Christ is our refuge. How many times in the Bible have we heard those terms? And now in Christ we fully understand the meaning. I died, Christ now lives in me. Christ now lives through me. I'm not just in God's hand. We use that term a lot. Listen, I am hidden with Christ in God. How are you going to get to me in there? What can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. Corey Tinboom had it right. Corey Tinboom survived the concentration camps and she stated it well. She said, Look around and you're going to be distressed. Look inside and you're going to be depressed. But you look at Jesus and you will find yourself at rest. See, He is our rest, He is our refuge. When we become to realize this, that means that we can begin. To do what John talked about earlier, the reason we can give generously, and, and I want you to understand, generously is sacrificially. <laughs> when we're really giving generously, we're going to be giving beyond our means. We're going to sacrifice things that are important to us. And, and I'm, you think this is a plug for money. I'm not talking money. I want you to think about the number of people in this life, in this world, in history, that have given their life to stand for Jesus Christ. You know how they do that? Because they know their identity in Christ. They believe with their whole heart that Jesus Christ can save them. I mean, think, go back in church history, go back in biblical history. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went in the fire, and what did they say? King, we will not bow down to you today. You can play your music, you can do your harps, you can look at us and threaten us all that you want. But we're not going to bow down today. And he turns up the fire and says, well, what if we throw you in there? And he looks at him, and I mean, think about the words that he said. We're still not going to bow down. And if you throw us in that fire, our God is able to save us. But if not, think about the faith that takes. King, know this. Even if we die in that fire, I'd rather die in that fire, being obedient than out here in the world forsaking God. (laughs) Isn't that true? How many people have laid down their lives for their faith? We don't get it in America. We're so free we don't see it, what's happening around the world. There was a missionary named James Calvert. It was interesting. He said as he was going to the Fiji Islands, he wanted to go take the gospel to a people group that were cannibals. And as James Calvert went onto the boat that would take him to the island, the captain of that ship said to him, he said, Dude, let me discourage you from doing this. This is an island where if you set foot on it, you could lose your life. In fact, the quote was, You will lose your life and the lives of those who are with you if you go and try to live among such savages. And this is what the missionary said. He said, We died a long time before we came here. Let that sink in. And then he said, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. (laughs) You see, there's a reality that as we live in this world, uh, if we're in Christ, we have a lifeline. Um, Tarpon Springs, I grew up in Florida. One of the things about Tarpon Springs, you see it in shows like Bering Sea Gold. I just like those gold shows, I don't know why. But as you watch shows like that, it's interesting because if I was going to scuba dive, I'd want to be in a self-contained unit. You know what I mean? Let me swim around. It's interesting because some divers, they still utilize dive units that basically you're tethered to a ship. And so if you go down to the depths, understand that you are living for hours in an environment that you should be dead, Right. That if you didn't have the tether, if you didn't have the oxygen, if you didn't have, the, the especially in places like Alaska, where they're putting warm water around your wetsuit, you would be dying of hypothermia. You are living in an environment that is hostile and would kill you. Except that you're synced, right? Except that you're tethered with a ship, with oxygen, with hot water, Right? And in Tarpon Springs, they'll go down and they'll find sponges, and these guys will dive. And the same thing when they're looking for gold. I want you to see that as the picture of what God means when He says that you are with Christ in God. Here is the deal. If we are connected to Him, whenever we feel down, whenever we get discouraged, whenever we feel endangered, He says, don't fix your mind on what is around you. Because in that environment, everything down under that water wants to kill you. Everything about it wants to kill you. Don't look at the environment. What are you supposed to remember? That I'm tethered. That I have exactly what I need, so we're going to fix our minds, not on what surrounds us, but we're going to fix our mind on what sustains us. Do you see the difference in those two? you will either focus on what surrounds you or you will focus on what is sustaining you. Because if we're connected to Christ, we aren't only going to survive, we are going to triumph. And then he goes on and says, live in expectation of His return. I love this section because it says in Him, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be what? with him again. Okay? So I want you to get the picture here. We always think about Jesus's return and we forget that there's a a part of it that is amazing when we talk about his return. He says, "Then Jesus will come again and he will be revealed in all of his glory, right?" But he says, "You know what? If you want a foundation for change, remember the second coming of Jesus. Remember that this king who died for us and was risen and now has ascended to heaven, he is coming back, isn't he? And you know what the promise is? The promise is that I started a work in you and I will be faithful to complete it. And every day that you live, I'm gonna make you more and more and more and more like Jesus. I am shaping you. And he says, and then that glorious day when I return, guess who's going to be with him? Let that sink in. And you know what it says? What we are in Christ will suddenly be revealed. You see, right now, if you know me well enough, like if you're my wife, if you're my kids, if you're a close friend, you realize that the pastor isn't perfect. Neither are any of you. That everybody in this room, we got warts, don't we? We got struggles we got issues, we got sins, and there is that part of us that is like, oh my gosh, I don't want God to reveal me as I am right now. Like, like the light scares us still sometimes, right? But he says, you know what, there is a day coming when I'm going to change all of that. And what I said about you back here will be realized fully over here. And right now he's saying, trust me, believe me, it will happen. So keep living as if it's already happened. The coming again of Jesus ought to motivate us and be a foundation for this change. So let's look at the process of change. That's the foundation, our identity, that we think biblically about God's purposes and plans, His strength. We focus on Jesus. We realize that He is our life. We live in expectation of his return, but what about the process of change? Here we're going to go from, here's a therefore in verse 1, we're going to hit a therefore in verse 5. And basically that means because of the last four verses, because of this foundation that we've just built, he says, let's talk about the process. We've talked about the foundation, let's talk about how it's going to happen. And here's what he says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, First and foremost, recognize that your sinful nature is dead, church. I want to let that sink in. Think about those words. God just told you that you need to reckon. You need to come to grips. You need to square up your account and realize that this is a true statement You don't have to keep sinning. Most of us in this room that live defeated Christian lives, it's on that very basis right there. From the start, we start to make excuses and say, well, it's just the way that I am. I'm Irish. I have a temper. I'm mean. I have red hair. Any redheads in here? (laughs) I don't have a redhead in my home. That's why I use that illustration. I'm not going to pay for that later. I mean, think about all the excuses that we make in this life. Well, you know what? If you knew how I was raised, if you knew this, if you knew that, on and on and on we go and we make excuses for our sin when what God says is, recognize that your sinful nature is dead. Because in Christ, we're hidden in Him, aren't we? In God, that He's saved us, not just from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. The Bible says and makes clear, we aren't slaves to sin anymore. We are slaves to what? To righteousness. Those aren't my words. I'm not making something up that's going to make it harder for you. He's saying, live out your faith. Live like you say that you believe. If you believe, verses 1 through 4, then he said, let's put it into practice in verse 5. Recognize that your sinful nature is dead. Now, that doesn't mean... That your sinful nature isn't going to keep trying to resurrect itself. And the quickest way for it to resurrect itself is for you to feed your sinful nature. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Uh, when it says that your sinful nature is dead, what it's talking about is its influence. It's not talking about death in the way that you're thinking about it, dead once for all, and, and as like it's not even there anymore. But dead, reckon it dead as in it has no control over you. You are free from its power. You are free from its control. It means to deaden, to to deprive of force, to, to lose its vigor. It means that we're no longer under sin's power. For sin, as far as it's concerned, it is game over. The question is, do you believe that? Because if you don't, then you are going to struggle out of the gate to change. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to things. And he says, what are we dead to? Well, he gives you a list of those things. He says that we're dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil, to desire and greed. He's going to give us two groupings of sins here. Uh, You can call them vices if you want. Does the Bible sound like it's uh, uh, not relevant to today? What are the most basic things humans struggle with? Sexual immorality. It's not new to America. It's not new to our culture. They've been struggling with it since time began. And what he says to us is, you got to get a handle on sexual immorality by believing and saying and knowing that it is dead, that it doesn't have to control you. And we're not just talking, when we say sexual morality, we want to say, oh, you mean those horrible things like homosexuality. No, listen, why are you delineating all those things? Adultery? Fornication? Sex outside of marriage? Pornography? Television? Music? All of those things you do realize, right? That if you don't consider them dead, if you don't kill them, and you keep feeding them into your life, guess what you're going to struggle with? Sexual morality. Impurity. The thoughts, right? That eventually will turn into actions. Folks, when we say sexual morality, it hits everybody in this room. Statistically, 70% of everybody in this room has... Very recently in their past, or is currently struggling with some form of pornography. Let those statistics sink in. What does the Bible say? Kill it, reckon it dead. Believe what God has said about the sin that is in your life. And He goes on and He, he lists impurity and He talks about things like passion, which are just lust and those desires that you have. Evil desires where you seek to do harm to people. Listen, he goes on and says, he throws in greed, which basically, some translations, and I think most accurately, it's covetousness. That you want those things that you shouldn't have, that aren't yours to have. You desire the things that God says no to. You don't need, you don't want, you shouldn't have. And we want them anyways, and we start to elevate things in our life, and that's why he says that, you know what? You think you need this sexual relationship to be healthy, to be whole, to be whatever. And he says, what you're doing is, he says, you're saying that instead of me being enough, it's not enough unless you have this. And he says that equates to idolatry. When you say, I need Jesus plus, you're in the realm of idolatry. Whatever becomes the source of your satisfaction, your enjoyment, your pleasure, whatever it is that you say, I have to have this to be happy, he's saying you're setting yourself up for idolatry. He goes on, and here's where it gets interesting. He says, for it is because of these things that what? The wrath of God. It's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Consider God's wrath on sin. If you want the process, you've got to recognize that your sinful nature is dead, and you've got to recognize that God is not glorified. God is wrathful as it pertains to sin. Uh, We just want to focus on the love part of God. We just want to focus on the part of God where He forgives. We'll understand that there is most of the world out there that they don't sit under His love. They don't sit under, right? They haven't received that pardon. They haven't received that forgiveness. They are under condemnation. They are under the wrath of God. When they enter into eternity without Jesus, they won't know Him as a loving Father. They won't know Him as a sacrificial King. They will know Him as a wrathful Judge. where they will be paying the price, the rightful, just price for their sins. And he says, you're living in a way, he says, what needs to change is you need to remember, this is what I died for so that you would be free. If you need a motivation and a process for change, then think about it. These are the things that are bringing about the wrath of God, not just one day in eternity, but right now. Go back over to Romans. You have to look at the whole Bible. It looks like he's talking about towards the end, but read Romans 1. It says that God's wrath is already being poured out. Sin has consequences, doesn't it? Devastating consequences, not just for one person, but sometimes for whole nations, whole families. And he says, don't forget about the wrath of God in this, that these are the things that bring it about. So if those are the things that bring about the wrath of God, what should we as believers be doing? Getting away from them, fleeing from them. Instead, we just say, where is the line and what do we do? We, just, we try to ride the line and what we don't realize is we're dealing with something that is a trap and you just touch it and it, it grabs you. And we don't want to believe what the Bible says. These are the things that bring about the wrath of God. So consider God's wrath on sin. And then he says, put aside your evil practices. Here again, he's going to use this term. And, and the put on, put off is really the idea of clothing. That's what they would have understood when they heard it. It's like garments where he's saying, you've got these, I mean, think about it this way. If, if, I mean, I love to fish. I, I, you come home from fishing, you're stank, you're nasty, you're just the. You don't realize it, but you walk up and your wife realizes it. You go to walk in the door, what does she say? Uh, you need to go back to the garage and strip down those clothes because you are nasty right sometimes i've had i've gotten so messed up sometimes that she's been like just throw it away there's fish guts on it i don't want to handle just throw it away because the reality is he's saying what you're doing is he's saying are you willing to take off i mean think about what sin does to you it's making you dirty filthy And he says, why are you living like that? I mean, if we saw somebody like that, we'd be like, look, man, go change your clothes. Go put a little deodorant on. You need to hit the shower, right? And wouldn't it be crazy to go do all that? Imagine if Melanie said, hey, you know what, go inside and hit a little deodorant and take a shower. And then I went back in the garage and put those old clothes back on again. I mean, we'd be looking at each other like, seriously? Are you a pig? What are you doing? But that's what, I mean, think about what we do spiritually. We want to come to Jesus, dirty, filthy, take it all off and say, cleanse me, and then we turn around and what do we do? We just put it all right back on rather than putting on the new and dumping the old. And he says, you've got to put aside your evil practices. And he lists some of them. He says that not only is it the sensual stuff and the greed that you deal with, But he also goes on and says, but you got to put them all aside. Anger, right? This is the way we relate to other people. This is an issue more of our hearts, and it starts kind of on the inside, where the other ones were kind of the outer things. He says, listen, it's anger, it's wrath, it's malice, where you want to do things to people, and you have this hatred that drives you to want to hurt them. Slander, abusive speech. He says, you have to remove them from your mouth. He says, don't lie to one another. Why? Because you laid aside the old self with all of its evil practices. Recognize it can't control you. Realize that these things are the things that bring about the wrath of God. And then he says, set them aside because they're nasty, they're dirty. They keep you from being clean and holy and you've got to set them aside aside. Put off, another way to say it is, put off all that is inconsistent with the new identity that you have in Jesus. Put off all that is inconsistent with the new identity that we have in Christ Jesus, which is all of these things that we just talked about. He's basically going to say that you can't say, I have Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, and I'm following Jesus with my whole heart, and these things be present. doesn't mean that we don't struggle. The good news is when we struggle, if we confess our sins, what is Jesus faithful and just to do? To forgive us and to cleanse us. But it's that process of we don't want to stay dirty. We don't want to stay filthy. We don't want to live in sin that we know is bring about the wrath of God and sin always brings separation and hurt and pain and destruction. He's saying, let go of it. And this is where he looks at you. And he says, I've provided the way. You just have to let go and believe and trust. And he says, and if we're going to put aside the evil practices, he says, you've got to take up the new self. Put on the new self. Now we're going to get into that next week, but I'll tease it out a little bit here, that the reality is if you take off those old clothes, you've got to put on some new clothes, right? And he's going to tell us what that looks like and what we're to be as believers and what we're to choose as believers and what we clothe ourselves with. And I want you to see, I'll give you the the hint to it, is that as you read this text this week, which I hope you will before we get into it, I want you to realize that what we're actually putting on is Christ. (laughs) It's part of that hidden in Him. It's part of what He's doing and working in us. And even though there's going to be a day when we come with him in glory and the world's going to see what it was he began, that we were his workmanship and that he has done an amazing thing in us. And so part of that is you know what? You're going to take off all that was old and selfish and outside of his will and you're going to pick up Christ and put it on. And lastly, I close with this the opportunity for change. The foundation of change, the process of change. But what about the opportunity of change? Because some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, I can't change. Yes, you can. We just talked about this. And if you sit back and say, well, I don't know that that I can. Is that really for me? He's going to sum it up in these last two verses. And he's going to say, it is absolutely for you. He says, put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we have the truth of who Christ is and who we are in Christ and what Christ wants to accomplish. And listen to what he says about this renewal. He says, He will renew you and it is a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman. What he's saying is that this change, it number one, it comes through Christ, but number two, it is offered to everyone. There is not a person in this room, if they are his, that you can't change. He takes out all of it. He said, no matter if you're circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Greek, Scythian, barbarian. It, 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 <laughs> fill that blank. With, you, you could put black, white, rich, poor. Put whatever you want in there. He says, there is no difference in Christ. That He can, He will accomplish this in you. He has the power because He conquered the grave. He's God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. His promises are true and He's looking at you and all He's saying is, uh, why do you think this doesn't pertain to you? And I would ask that today. Why do you think this doesn't pertain to you? Why do you look at others and say, God can change them, but he can't change me? He says right here, oh, in case you thought I didn't mean you, I mean you. Why? Because look at the last statement in 11. Christ is what? All in all. That's another way of saying the reason this is true is because Christ is enough. It doesn't depend on you. It isn't about you. It's never been about you. You have never been able to change. You needed a Savior. You needed Christ. You needed the cross. You needed the resurrection. You needed the Holy Spirit. You needed all of God's promises. That was the only way change would ever happen. And Christ is saying, and I am willing to give it to you if you will come to me in faith, trusting, and believing that you know what? Jesus, you are enough. You will make it happen. You have the power to change me. And so I'm putting all of my hope and all of my faith in that truth. As the musicians are coming, I just want to close with this quote from A.W. Tozier. A.W. Tozier gave us this quote back in the 1960s. Listen to it. He said, religion today is not transforming people. That's not all the quote. Hang on. Isn't that what it seems like? For all the churches, for all the discipleship classes, for all the opportunities, the missions, the everything... Today, as much as ever in America, you look at the church, you look at religion, and it doesn't seem to be transforming people, does it? It's because their eyes aren't on Jesus. Somewhere along the line, our churches, the Word of God stopped being preached. You are fortunate to be in a church where for years and years before I was here, and hopefully years and years after I'm here, that the Word of God is faithfully preached from these pulpits. That aint That's not the case across America. That churches, like this church, hold to the truth of God, that it doesn't matter how culture shifts, they continue to hold the line. Because that's not always the Case in our churches across this land. And the reality is, it is becoming aware and more aware. This was in the 60s. Religion today is not transforming people. Listen to what he said. Rather, it is being transformed by the people. So the people are transforming the religion, not religion, the people. Listen to how he finished. He said, The church is not raising the moral level of society. It is descending to society's own level and congratulating itself that it has scored a victory because society is smiling as it accepts its surrender. Folks, that was the 1960s. What would he say today? And we have to be sure, church, if the world is going to see transformation, you realize that you are the trophy that God is going to display. Out of all the ways that God could have received glory for himself, he actually took you and he made you into his image and his likeness. And we went and we screwed it all up. And he didn't leave us there. But he sent his son, Jesus, who came offering forgiveness and freedom and a forever home with God. And he said to us, all that's been lost I can recreate again where you don't seem to display my glory at all anymore I will change you and transform you if you will let me and I will once again receive glory, worship, praise because of the work that I can do in you You see, if you don't realize that and that's not your goal in life, then you have missed the whole purpose for which you've been created. And you will continue to chase temporal things that don't matter instead of seeking Jesus and becoming the man or the woman that He created you to be to live with honor and integrity and character. To take on Christ and who he is, and let the world see him through us. So, my question is, church, have you given up on that? Have you either forgotten that that's what he said about you, or have you rejected that? You know what? I'm not sure. My past is too bad, and my actions are too evil and I look at my life and I just don't think God can do it and even though he's sitting there saying to you it doesn't matter who you are I will renew you regardless if you will let me if you will believe me so churches, sons and daughters let's get before God today and let's get this right let's believe him and let's live like we believe him take these things this week look at them again and again. I hope you take notes so you can go back this week and pray over these and and live these things out. And we've given you not just things to know, but we've given you, we've put them in a way that they are things that you can do and pray through and understand. (laughs) But it begins today as you just respond to God in prayer. Because I can guarantee you what we discussed today, if it didn't hit you I'm going to be shocked. If you have no place in that conversation today, I'm going to be shocked. I need you to come to me because I want you to take my place and lead this church. I'm telling you, it's for all of us today. If you don't know Christ, I pray that you'll come to receive Him today. If you've never said, Christ, I'm sorry, Christ... I need to change, I, I need you to change me and I'm, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed and I'm turning today away from those sins. Pray that, ask Jesus to forgive you and to change you. Tell him, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died in my place, he took my punishment so I could be forgiven and all of my debt is paid because of Jesus and today I surrender to you, Jesus. If you've never prayed those things that I repent that I believe that, that today, Jesus, I surrender. You pray right now in this room. He will hear you. And he will save you. If anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, do you know what the Bible says? He will be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And guess what? You'll be saved. Father, we just pray today that you would move in our midst. Lord, that you would find your people repenting. Those that don't know you, repenting. Those that have wandered far from you, repenting. Lord, remind us that you were the one who sought us first. That the greatest thing that will make heaven rejoice is when a prodigal comes home. When a sheep that's lost is found, when that coin was found, Lord, that is what set heaven celebrating. That's when the party broke out. And so, Father, this isn't a moment that we should shy away from. It's a moment that we should run to because you will be waiting just like that father, looking for our return and you will receive us and you will restore us. And so, Jesus, as we play this music this morning, may we pray, may we close our eyes and focus on you and let you speak to us Through this word, and may we respond back the way that you desire us to. Lord, help us find our voice and the courage to speak to you today. Because you have been waiting and waiting and waiting for us to come home. Thank you for seeking us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this moment where we hear your voice so clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's my king. He's enduringly strong. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a prince of princes. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of Lords. That's my king.